very highly respected, but in other types of Scottish accents, actually very low, uh, low status. So it has its own subset within the UK, in my opinion. Um, I've do you know what I mean? Perspectives on that for sure. Yeah, we should definitely talk about it. It's very, very interesting. Um, so um, anyway, we're live, everybody. Welcome to Brain Food Live on air on a cold, crisp and rather nice uh, day out there in the UK. It's like a beautiful uh, blue skies, minus one or something. I believe some people are saying it's snowing in Tunbridge Wells. Um, so it's starting to happen. Winter is here, but it's a nice winter, folks. Um, can't argue with it so far. Anyway, uh, welcome to the show, everybody. It's episode 184, Bring Food Live on Air. We're bringing it to you every Friday, no fail. We're going to keep going till the 23rd of December, would you believe, to the very bitter end, um, where we're going to do our year, uh, sort of urine review uh, show on the 23rd, as late as that. So make sure uh, you sign up to us. Yes, Adam, make a note. <laughs> you, you need to give me an hour on the 23rd. Anyway, um, let's get on with it. Let's do some uh, sound checks before we go any further. We always want to do this to make sure you can hear me okay. Uh, folks in the um, on Crowdcast, if you can hear us okay, please do let me know. Um, we need video and audio. If that's operating okay, let me know on the chat stream. Uh, we should be pumping this out into LinkedIn Live as well, as well as Twitter, Facebook, and that's it really. So if you can hear me in those two places, those three places, uh, let me know also in a comment below uh, so you can see whether that, well, so, you, so I can see that the things are operating uh, well as we go. Um, so yeah, seems like the audio is working well, which is which is good stuff. Anyway, good to see Adam Gordon back in the saddle. Uh, it seems like a little while since you've been here, Adam. And uh, I was just saying to Adam, doesn't he look good? Doesn't he look as if he's lost like 10 years in terms of his age? Um, do you want to quickly explain what you've done? Some plastic surgery, man? Like what's, what's going on here? Well, no, I had a haircut and <laughs> shaved most of the beard off. I don't know why my appearance gets so much airtime. It happens on brain food, not just from you, but other people in the chat. And like, if Ivan Harrison's anywhere near, he's always got something to say about my appearance. But anyway, I'm, 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 I've not been trying to look younger, but I guess that's uh, um, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a bad thing. No, I think it's a really good thing to be able to segue one way or the other. Sometimes you need to have like um, a bit more gravitas, you know, a little bit more. And that is age. That is maturity. There's no doubt like growing facial hair helps your power somewhat. Um, but if you want to, you know, be a whippersnapper, whip it off. So so there yeah, you go. Well, look, I think actually that's an interesting point. And it, it, it kind of links into the subject that we're talking about on the um, about accents and things, because there's a there's a point in your life where uh, where you don't need to do anything to try and look more mature because you literally are. You and are, I think that's yeah. about our age, like mid forties. Mm. I think that's the point where actually, yeah, you, you probably look as if you've got the stripes. You look as yeah. if you've got some experience. Mm -hmm. That's it. And and that's actually a topic for another show. Like, like how do you, like some people look like preternaturally young and you think, yeah, at some point that may, may not be great for them because they can't be, they don't, don't seem as if they have the, the gravitas to be a leader of a business, for instance. Um, and, and yet some people look 
older than they are and you know are they do they then give off a different image um which maybe you don't want in a certain so so, so we are very ageist we're very very ist of every type so we're going to try and uncover it and this is the topic of the day uh which is uh, accent and social class uh, bias, um, which I think particularly in the UK is very, very prominent, quite famous for it. Um, we're probably the exemplars country, like globally exemplars on how social class actually does kind of, we filter through in some way. So Other than bring, India? Well, a different type of caste though. Um, I mean, that's a, a slightly different, but it, uh, it's, it's broadly similar. It is a caste type of thing. And, you know, it is a case it's where... It's even okay, more pronounced, though. Even more pronounced than it is in the UK, I think. I, w- I would say India it would be a very interesting example because there's also social class sort of layered on with the em- British Empire as well. So, so there's like, like almost two layers of, of, of caste. Uh, sort of structures that might be interceding with each other so we'll definitely do that show at some point um but yeah we're talking about social class bias today folks um and i hope people can uh tune into this and give you give, give us your thoughts as well because i think whether you've been a beneficiary or a victim of this then it would be just interesting to surface some of this stuff out anyway uh we always want to thank our sponsors for this show because this show cannot happen without our sponsors every week brain food live is sponsored by a great company that's doing wonderful things for the recruiting industry. Um, And this week, I'm very pleased to announce it's a repeat sponsor. It is MetaView, um, a company that is there to basically improve your interview intelligence, um, a business, a a category that I'm a massive evangelist for this year. I think it's really, really uh, important. And I think it's going to have the sort of thing that will be you know, a step change improvement in terms of how companies recruit, particularly improving quality of hire. But why don't I get the founder of the company to tell us all about it? There's no point in me trying to tell you the story of MetaView because we've got Sial Sial Majos here um, who's going to come on. Uh, He's a previous guest of Brain Food, so you should know him. But he's going to come on and tell us all about his amazing products. So hopefully Sial's here um, and he could uh, could give us the news. I'm quite excited to see what kind of brand action he's going to give us. Oh, he's just got a hoodie on. Sire, yeah. come on. Yeah, I was going to say, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I was hoping for a tattoo or something. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, was, I was laughing as you were talking about Gravitas, and then I turn up wearing a hoodie. And I did get confused for someone when someone predicted I was 25 the other day. So, uh, yeah, I need to, I've got a few more years to earn those, um, earn those stripes, I guess. That's actually really interesting, Sire, because as a founder of a business, like, is it better to be slightly older or younger? Probably at some point, some age might help, right? I mean, for, I don't for know. sure. And just to be clear, I, someone predicted I was 25. I am not 25, it turns out, but um, that, that was their prediction anyway. Right. Yeah, can I, you're 30, right? Uh, high, up a bit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's leave. Declare a 30 70. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to ask that in an interview home. You should know that. You, that's that's like right. You interview on your interviews. There would be a MetaView flag saying uh, Uh illegal, um, which actually would be an interesting product. If you kept on saying like stuff that was like, actually, this is not allowed, then maybe you you get a pop up to say, no, you can't do. But Sile, tell us about the product, man. What is MetaView? Who should care about it? Why is it important? Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, Thanks for for having me on and obviously delighted to sponsor. So MetaView is the leading interview intelligence platform, uh, really focused on increasing quality and reducing bias in interviews. So that's for us what uh, what it boils down to. And really for us, actually quality or bias is a subset of quality, right? Biases are, are shortcuts um, towards, uh, to help you make decisions when you don't have the evidence, but it's a whole lot better if you actually have the evidence. And that's what, that's what we help with. So uh, we record and transcribe interviews seamlessly. 
then provide insights to interviewers, tools for recruiters and evidence for hiring managers to really level up this sort of the last black hole in the recruiting process, which is the interviews, these really dense, high signal conversations that that are had between uh, hiring teams and, and candidates. Um, so yeah, sort of the evidence, the, the sort of the, the impact we have really boils down to time to offer. So a lot of the time you can improve your time to offer. We have customers who improve their time to offer by up to 28 to 30% because uh, they can weed out the candidates that aren't a fit more quickly. They have more high quality interviewers in their team so they can schedule candidates uh, more quickly as well. Offer acceptance rate goes up by 16% because the experience is just that much better when interviewers are confident. And especially when hiring managers feel like they have enough evidence with which to make a decision instead of getting into this endless cycle of, oh, let's see a few more candidates because I'm not sure about this one. Uh, when you actually have the evidence at your fingertips, it makes a massive difference. Yeah, um, that's that, That's what immediately struck me when you said it was actually quicker to offer because you actually have more information. Um, and where where hiring managers struggle and they're, they're sitting on something, it's like there's no more information coming. You've had the interview, so, yeah. so giving an extra couple of days thinking about it doesn't help. And in in, in the end, that ends up that offer not happening, and uh, back comes the recruiter with more candidates. So give the supply the evidence to the hiring managers, and they're able to then execute a decision on it. So absolutely. Um, so how can they check out MetaView style? Where do they where they know about it and you know whatnot? Yeah, best place to go is our website. So it's metaview.ai. Uh, there's a bunch of resources on there as well. You can check out whether it's to learn about the product or learn about how we think about, I guess, these challenges around hiring great folks in uh, uh, in tech, especially. Um, and you can head over there. You can get started right away, or you can get in touch with with a member of the team. Um, you can also email me. I'm on SM, so that's the letter S, the letter M at metaview.ai if you uh, want to get in touch and we'll be happy to to jam with folks in the community and show them the product and get their get their perspectives. Fantastic. Uh, go ahead and share your um, your your uh, details in the chat stream there, Sile, and uh, I'm sure the folks uh, who are watching this will get uh, get in touch. Anyway, great to see. Sorry, Adam, you're going to say something. Can I ask Sale a question, actually? Oh. Um, so I think you're you're you called your company MetaView before the before Facebook called yeah. it changed its topco to Meta. Yeah. Um, just like interesting brand question did 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 that ever make you think hmm, am i doing the right thing or like what was the what was the question what, what was the questions that you asked yourselves at when, that point when facebook changed to meta yeah yeah it was definitely it was definitely a sort of a topic of conversation uh, in the company um but uh we haven't really seen it filter through as we hear sort of the odd sort of uh, observation now and then from a from a customer or like oh when we first started talking to you we thought you were something to do with uh, with facebook um, so we don't know how sort of profligate this is, but it's it doesn't feel like it's slowing us down any. Put it that way. Yeah, and the whole the whole concept of like the metaverse is something that um, you know is people are talking about yeah. a lot more, of course. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of there's a bunch of tools out there. We work a lot with uh, a lot of sort of I would say pretty high performing tech companies, and you get other products out there like companies like MetaBase. So this this concept MetaView is a portmanteau of metadata and interview, right? That's yeah. why we that's that's why we gave it the name. Um, and I think there's a yeah. decent level of understanding that that's what we're aiming for. But no, but sometimes we do have to explain that, uh, yeah, nothing to do with Meta the company <laughs> and also nothing to do with the metaverse, um, much more to do with the data, uh, the sort of this ambient data that you're losing in your recruiting process at the moment, specifically in your interviews. 
that's it. Great, and great use of portmanteau. I think I, I wouldn't have remembered that that's what it was called, but Hung's a big scholar of words and he would have known that. I, I actually did know that and I was about yeah. to mention, hey, I, a fellow person that knows how to use the word portmanteau. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen, we've got to get on with the show. So, Sal, great to see you, man. Um, let's uh, connect again. Feel free to hang around if you're interested in this topic, by the way. I think it's, uh, it's one that actually kind of is, is aligned a little bit in terms of you know how accents are captured. Like when you're interviewing someone, yeah. you can actually pick this. It's a bias. It's clearly well, you can pick yeah. up. So, I don't want um, to stay, stay within my lane a bit, but completely, right? Because if you think about what people make their decisions from interviews based on now, it's a lot on those feelings. And that might be like memories of how they came across as opposed to how they actually answered the question, what they actually said. So super relevant. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Okay, Sal, listen, we'll see you in the chat, but uh, thanks so much for dropping the message and uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll chat again soon, man. Thanks so much, folks. Enjoy. Cool. I'm, I'm pleased you mangled his name as well, man. I always mangle it also. I think it's called Sal, um, but I'm terrible with, uh, with, uh, with a kind of Irish names, really. How, how uh, do you know I mangled it if you can't do it? I know you definitely mangled it. Um, right, listen, we don't actually have time to review the newsletter. We have to bring people in. Um, so let's go with directly with this uh, this this topic. Um, we are going to go. I tell you what, Nick Court is coming on because he was the one that inspired this by a blog post he wrote. Um, and I thought, you know what, that's something definitely uh, we need to be talking about. Ashley Wallace, who I had the pleasure of meeting a couple of weeks ago, um, she's joining us. Mel Hayes, of course. Let's have a look, Mel. Where are you? There you go. Let's bring her on. And we have we should have John John Rose here, the legend. The legend that is John. Let's have a go. Um, okay, we've got some people on screen already. So Nick, great to see you. Um, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Hey, I'm Nick Court. I'm the CEO of the People Experience Hub. So we are a employee feedback platform. So data and insights around how people feel at work and what's going on in the workplace. Fantastic stuff. And we have Ashley here. Ashley Wallace, great to see you, Ashley. How have you been? Um, Ashley, would you like to introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, I'm, I'm Ashley. I work for Papercup AI, um, a small startup um, and needing their recruitment. Fantastic stuff. And we have uh, Mel Hayes here as well. Great to see you, Mel. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I enjoyed the first part and loving your jumper, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> Just doing it for your attention. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> Mel, who are you? What it is you do? <laughs> um, hi, everyone. I'm uh, Melanie Hayes. I am the Chief People Officer at Nash Squared, and we are a half technology um, recruitment organization, some brands that sit under there like Harvey Nash, and then half a technology solutions business, so Nash Tech, which is we have 2,000 developers in Vietnam, and my camera just seems to have moved, so give me a second. 2,000 developers, did you just say? Yes. Wow. Not just no a recruiting business. <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea either. And I might be going to Vietnam in January, actually. So I'll pop in and say hi to all of those devs. Uh, so um, we've anyway. got Hanoi, Ho Chi Minh and Da Nang. Amazing. I think I'll probably go um, to Ho Chi Minh. Uh, all right, listen, we've got um, John Rose here as well. John, great to see you, sir. Um, and yourself, you? Adam. How are you doing? Can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, John Rose, I'm working with uh, Volvo Cars out of Sweden, but I'm based up in the uh, the Pennine district of uh, greater north of England uh, here. And I do the, I'm sourcing work, with the, building out the sourcing team with Linus and some great people over in uh, Volvo Cars. 
Fantastic stuff. Uh, folks, connect with all of, our, all of our friends on the screen, on the chat stream. We just shared all their LinkedIn's there. Right, let's talk about this topic, social class and accent bias. Uh, you're all here because uh, you've either piped up or we've had some sort of drunken conversation, Ashley, um, or I've, I've seen a post that, you know, somebody has talked about. So this is something that we've all kind of experienced. Can we just like share one experience that you have where you have felt, you know what, your accent or the class sort of signal that you gave actually was pejorative in, in a career context um so personal examples just just so we can get a flavor as to what actually uh, uh you know might be occurring out there uh, so nick why don't we go with you to kick off with have you had any personal experience of this oh loads loads so um i guess i guess a good example would be uh for me i mean i i, I grew up on benefits and joined a retailer working in a warehouse and worked my way up and the minute i got to any kind of junior management position super uncomfortable in a tie super uncomfortable in a shirt didn't like it I, you know getting pulled in the office to be told put your shirt on put your tie on you know and all of that stuff and actually then being told that i'd been um i didn't have the look and the feel that they wanted for a role that i'd actually been doing for nearly a year and they gave it to a grad for the reason was it's got a different background to you. Absolutely categorically just told me that. Comes from a different background, comes across better than you do. He's a bit sharper in his look. And that was it. <laughs> wow. That's devastating. So wow. what, what role was what role was that, Nick? It was a um, it was an industrial relations role. So perversely, I came from a trade union background and then I ended up doing the trade union stuff for the company where I would do negotiations and pay talks and all of that kind of stuff. Um, when the role came up, it wasn't for me. You know they what? They wanted somebody posher for an industrial relations job. <laughs> yes. Is that what, that's yeah. the summary of that? Yeah, company fit. Seems odd. In a strange way, though, I'm actually impressed that they told you that because how many times does that decision get made and there's like no feedback at all? I mean, obviously, these days you can't even give that feedback, but that type of decision making is still happening where face don't fit or we have a particular image we wanted to, to, to deploy to this. And you know what? That's not you. Uh, and by the way, on the clothing and the, the the appearance side, I felt this very keenly, actually, when I first came down to, to London to work. Like, I was literally, I did not know how to wear a suit, for instance. There, there are certain ways in which you're meant to do your buttons up. There's certain sort of styles of suit you need to be wearing. Certain things of, of all those types of things you just don't know. Um, and you think there's other people that have just have a different type of lifestyle. They've got parents that can help. They can, they've got people around them that can give them this type of, you know, sense of fitting. Then ultimately that gives you that, that, that sort of signal that you belong. And that's what, what we're kind of teasing around here. There's lots of people out there that uh, have, have not had the experience or the access to the resources. And so they get screened out, not for their ability to do the job, but because they're not... The, the right fit for social class um funny, but... funny story funny story though um it might not be a funny story i think it's funny um we were all asked to sign up to company twitter accounts so that we could we could shout about the company on twitter as twitter was really taken off and um i set my handle up as scruffy nick and uh i got called in the office for that as well so not the right fit yeah not the right fit sir um 
Ashley, let's go to you with this. Have you any direct experience of, because you're, you're from kind of similar part of the world as me, and you've kind of moved into different sort of parts of the UK. Have you ever encountered any kind of bias of, of this type? And if so, is there an example that's conspicuous in your mind? I think for me, so I moved to London just as Geordie Shaw came out, unfortunately. <laughs> and that was a really unfortunate time. But I never, funny enough, I never thought I had an accent because in Newcastle, I, I never spoke slang. So when I moved to, to London, you can imagine all of like the jokes, the words, people were saying words that like they'd made up on Geordie Shaw that you've never heard before. And you would get like the odd comment that would come across you like, somebody once referred to me as like a lady of the night once, um, which is a really like insulting thing to say. Um, a prostitute. Yeah, yeah, basically that's what a lady of the night yeah. is. It's like just uh -huh. because of the accent, they like related it to that because of Geordie Shaw. Like that's I've crazy. had like, random comments but in general like I think it's probably been more positive than negative but maybe that's because I'm not too like fussed by it I'm quite proud of my accent so when people make the odd joke and comment I've kind of always kind of like brushed it off but in the, the working environment I'd say especially when I worked on contracts for the government that's probably why when you would like notice it the most um but from a candidate side of things it used to be quite positive because everybody i don't know if you've seen the sketch of like jason mumford where he does this thing where they put call centers in the northeast and that you just it's impossible to be angry with anybody from newcastle because when someone's really angry with you like oh no oh really and it's like the accent kind of cheers you up so from a candidate and a work side of things in recruitment it's always been quite positive but yeah odd comments in the working environment but nothing too harsh really do, do you know what's really interesting here is that certain accents like regional accents in the uk at least they they, they we we apply values to them um and they're, they're not always negative as you say i think you know post ant and deck um you know i think basically people from the northeast particularly geordies are kind of like oh yeah cool um but there's other accents that you know for for whatever reason um are, are really denigrated for example, you're from Midlands, West Midlands, Birmingham. Um, uh, that you generally you get hammered for that, um, or it's it's perceived to be, you know, uh, a, a, a dumb accent, a slow accent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And there isn't like an obvious exemplar on TV, on, uh, you know, apart from Jasper Carrot back in the day. Um, that's kind of carrying the flag. So uh, we have these kind of regional accents. We apply pretty random sort of um, values to them. And if you're, you know, growing up in those places and speaking that way, then suddenly you might have like this paddle in the water that's causing you long-term career friction um, because because of the way you speak. So yeah, it's it's a difficult one. Um, go to you, uh, Mel, what are your thoughts on this? Have you uh, got any experience of, um, of this type of accent or social class bias? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I uh, moved to London 21 years ago. I was obviously only 12. Um, and uh, I, I used to get lots of questions because I have a Midlands accent. And it's an accent that for those people who are not from the UK, it's kind of a mix of a Birmingham and a Manchester and a Liverpudlian accent. It's, it's smack in the middle. Um, and I used to get comments uh, around my education. I was not progressed for roles because of my accent. And I spent, and actually it was me that posted the HBR article on Twitter because I was just amazed when I was listening that that was still a thing. Because I thought we're used to seeing more regional accents on TV because, you know, 20 years ago, you used to only have the, the soft 
English accent on TV. Um, and um, I really think lots of people made judgments that I actually did spend a large part of my time softening my accent. And now I don't care. <clears throat> I'm kind of like, I have a strong accent. I think that makes me, gives me my own kind of unique piece. Well, here's the thing. It, like when people have to adopt or ch moderate their accent, like what does that do to you psychologically? Um, how does that kind of change your own sense of identity? If you feel, oh, this, the way in which I speak isn't good enough for this, whatever thing, thing I'm, I'm trying to do. And you've had to then sort of change this around. So it's, it's very difficult. I've definitely changed my accent. I mean, I remember coming down to London. People didn't understand what the hell I was saying. Um, so, so there was actually a practical impediment to this. Well, I, get, um, I get the opposite when I go home now. <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's interesting how you do it. I mean, in fact, we'll talk about software as well. I don't know whether anybody saw this, but there was a really, really interesting piece of software that is there to try and change people's accent on contact centers. Um, and it's, uh, the, so they've outsourced these contact centers, I think, to different parts of the world. Everyone knows that you react very differently to people who speak in a, in a uh, English in an accent that is non-native. Um, and in fact, we're very, very prejudicial in this way. Um, and what uh, sort of one company's done is basically enable a non-native English speaker to sound like a native English speaker, even to the point of applying a native English accent to someone who is a non-native English speaker. Uh, and on the cell here is to say, oh, we're eliminating prejudice uh, because, you know, all of these people are still delivering great service, et cetera, et cetera. I think, yes, that's true. But on the other hand, you're thinking, wow, are you also now like leaning into the prejudice by saying only one way of speaking is OK? Um, and these are the people who are speaking perfectly legible, and understandable English. Um, you know, for some reason, they've had to use a machine to change the way in which they speak to address this customer audience. So some big ethical issues and challenges to to go through here okay john final one to you um you're you've always had this like mega strong accent mate i hope you don't mind me saying <laughs> hell no <laughs> ever since i met you like there's no pretense so I'd, I'd be interested to know how you've encountered this i mean again i hope you don't mind me saying but you've all you're also a veteran of the space so you've you've, you've seen it over the over the the years so to speak um what's your experience has it changed anyway is it positive more positive or negative your thoughts on uh accent bias in recruiting I think when I first came into the, the industry 28, 29 years ago, there was a definite demarcation. If you wanted to work blue collar, you had to have a blue collar voice. If you wanted to work white collar, you had to have a white collar voice. And that's in terms and expressions in the way you were. If you wanted to work executive search, there was a cat in hell's chance of me ever working executive search because I wasn't posh enough. Harvey Nickel, people like that, they interviewed me. They said, we'd love to get you in, but uh, accent doesn't quite go. And I said, but I worked with the royal family for five years. If it was good enough for them, sure as hell should be good enough for you. And they said, yeah, but it's the customers that's the problem. So there is a bias. There is that, that, that whether it's conscious or, or unconscious uh, bias in, in the language and the terminology. And, and fortunately, enough, I've worked in different parts of the world and there's a bias for the English language, yep. but also in those with the English accents, there's also ones that are biased against the English accent, the English language, and that's, that's in, the, in the US. If you go to Australia and you speak English, then you better be a, a good runner. 
because look at that side because it's not necessarily favourable. But again, it's, it's it's something you do, and I think they, they take pity on you if you're from the north of England compared to London or whatever, because they have this idea of you're oppressed up north, therefore we, we like you in Australia, and that, whether you're in Brisbane or over in Perth or Adelaide, whatever. Well, here's what's interesting. I mean, Max has mentioned in the comments there is that actually everyone sounds British to him. He, Max, in fact, Max, no one understands where you're from. I think he's French, like, uh, but somehow in, he's, where are you from? No one knows. But anyway, he's one of these like uh, uh, kind of internationalists. Um, yeah. But um, people from outside don't understand. And actually everyone sounds British, quote unquote. And that actually is a very highly elevated language international status wise. Um, so you compare how English is spoken um, in different parts of the world. You Most people would rank, yes, the British accent, quote unquote, would be the number one. Whereas within our sort of milieu here, within Britain, mm -hmm. there's also a, hi a hierarchy of accents in our sort of <clears> world <throat> also. Interesting, you mentioned exec search saying, hey, regional accents, no bueno. I think straight away that struck mm -hmm. me as, yes, that's true. Um, like if you're working for a, like a, 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 I said elite, but you know, exactly the elite search type functions, it seems to be that is where you are going to get more RP English, receive pronunciation, education is all through a certain type. Um, you know, the, the, the journey that person's uh, been from and typically has to start from is, is in that sort of uh, rarefied uh, space. Adam, we haven't actually come to you, but I, I want to leave you to the last because you've actually got something interesting to say on this uh, because not only coming from Scotland, we talked earlier before, Scotland might have its own kind of different milieu, but you've also gone through a, a kind of a public boarding school and stuff like this. So you've encountered people with different sort of ways of speaking and so on. What's your commentary on this topic, social accent, uh, sort of accent bias and social class bias? I've got a lot, a lot of comments on it. Um, the, so I, my personal experience is uh, that I've never fitted in anywhere as a result of my accent. So in England, I'm considered Scottish, and in Scotland, I'm considered posh. Um, and you know, I, I grew, I actually grew up in the south of England. Uh, went to school just outside, just outside London. Grew up there, and um, in the playground, kids would come over to me and go, "Ooh, where's your cornbine harvester?" And I would go, yeah, I'm just not from the Southwest, mate. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's what happened. Um, and then I'd go home and I'd talk with a, and, and my accent completely changed at school. And I sounded pretty much English at school. And then I'd go home and my dad, who was very uh, Scottish, I, I'd, I'd have a different accent at home. And I would sound different in two different parts of the day. Um, but I, I, I agree with whatever, everything that everybody said. I totally understand it all. And uh, I'm not sure how much we can change human behavior on this. Uh, but one thing I should say about London is, um, and I was really interested in what both Ashley and Mel said in particular, um, I think, and you hung actually, I mean, London is now, and it wasn't when, it wasn't when I started working, but it certainly is now, probably about the most diverse city in the world, or certainly one of them, and as a result, I, I really suspect the accent becomes less and less important, does it? Um, I, I would certainly hope that would be would be the case. The exact search thing, totally get that. I spent four years at Norman Broadbent and almost everybody went to private school and was posh. And um, it's uh, and that, that definitely still still exists. People that work blue collar do sound more local, should we say? 
and people who uh, were white collar tend to sound a bit more neutral. And I think that is still the case. But I know that Mel's done a lot of work around social mobility and things like that, at her organization. And I think that smart companies do appreciate they need to go and be quite active about how they make changes in this area. I think if I can just if I can just add sorry um, onto that Adam that's why I was really surprised when I read that it was an HBR article about um, accent and and people being held back in Korea because of it and social class I kind of I, I I get that there's there's still challenges around social class and we need to do a lot more work but I just was completely shocked about the accent piece because I think I, I just didn't think it was a thing now but maybe that's just because I am predominantly sat in London but. We have offices all over the UK, and or maybe I'm just not in hiring in those companies. At the end of the day, this is like in-group bias, and Adam, we'll get to your point. Like, what can we do about it? Because a lot of it, I, I think, is like innate in human beings that we just prefer to be around people that are like us or similar to us. That's, I think, a very instinctive thing. Uh, simply as a, as a as a risk assessment, threat assessment. You know, this person looks and sounds like me. Therefore, chances are they're not my enemy. That's just the basic level of of human evolution. So, yes, the way in which we speak might be difficult, but perhaps. Using the London context, like the greater diversity of accents we're exposed to, the less threatening each individual accent seems to be because we, we simply hear more, get necessarily need to, to direct experience of something different. Um, you know, if you want to, uh, uh, a lot of the ways in which people speak are also attached, unfortunately, to like regional stereotypes. Um, you know, uh, you, you talk about the farmer stuff in the Southwest, you know, or you say, you know, s s people from Liverpool, maybe they're, they're perceived to be, you know, scallywags and whatever, but you're going to meet a few people that aren't that way, uh, speak that are speaking this way, but aren't that way. And that's going to hopefully eviscerate the prejudice that you have. So perhaps diversity of experience and, 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 and team is, is one of the ways to do it. London might have an advantage on that because there's more people. Uh, but as, you, as I'd be interested to know whether, Mel, you've got any examples where you've tried to, you know, I guess create more diversity within the business in order to try and, like, eliminate those uh, biases by exposure to others, you know, like uh, testing it against direct experience. I think the only way that you can make that shift is because the hiring managers have got to kind of buy into it and sometimes the challenge of hiring helps you to trigger it faster i remember and i'm sure that the md of uh, that business won't mind me saying this but when i joined um nash squared harvey nash group as it was at the time um going into the london office and it looking like i walked into an advert from ralph lauren everybody looked the same everybody spoke the same and to an yeah Two and a half years later, you go now and it's an entirely different business. But that has been down to the managers actually really thinking about hiring for the right skills and creating an environment that is addressing the different needs of different people. Right. But so uh, most of the time, your managers are your problem. It, it comes down to the 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 comment you're making earlier. I remember there was a time I used to say, um, oh, if you've supported the same football team as me, then I, and I enjoyed the chat with you. And of course, you're a man. I'll hire you. It's the same thing that happened with gender issues. I think, yeah, I think what, was, what I also found was I, when I first came out of the military and then went into the city street side of things, I actually had to go down to, to Lockheed Martin down in, in Portsmouth and I walked into the IBM building. Now, I've been wearing a uniform for 23 plus years 
and I did not want to be a conformist, a uniformist. Yeah. So I had a nice sports jacket on, a nice tie, bright tie, and I walked into to this IBM building, and they all spoke with a southern, posh, neutral accent, but they all dressed the same: pinstripe suit, white shirt, dark blue tie. And I walked in there, and the receptionist said, "You won't fit here, mate." And I said, "Where are you from?" He says, "He says I'm from up north as well." He says. You won't fit here, he says. You stand out like a sore thumb. And I thought, great, that's what I want to do in my job. And, do, and that's what ended up being a benefit to me. So it has got nuances that can be beneficial as well as being a disadvantage on the language side. I mean, well, it's interesting because I, um, I mean, what you're talking about here is something called social dominance theory. Yeah. And when you talk about class, so it's away from accents for a minute, but you talk about working class, middle class, upper class. Social dom dominance theory kicks in at each level. And what it does is it says um, difference is a threat. Difference is a threat to our standard and our norm within this group. And therefore, what we, what we crave is assimilation, what we crave, and therefore, what we value is assimilation. So what we do is, you know, class, is, class is a, isn't a protected characteristic, but it's only one of the characteristics that will change. You, won't, you don't find working class CEOs, because by definition, they're middle class by the time they're CEOs. You don't find working class board people because by definition, they're now middle class because middle class is about wealth and job title and the rest of it. So social dominance protects class. And what it does is it says dress like this, speak like this, sound like this. And then if you look at something like where, where, do, where do people come from into these roles? And you see that class system flowing through. So if you think about stuff like universities and you think about organizations in London office base, typically middle class. So what they crave is and what they, they ask of people is stand on your own two feet. You can be a rock star. You can do this. You can achieve this. If you work hard, you can do anything, be anything you want to be. Whereas working class values are, we'll do this together, strive towards a common goal, collaborate, and if you look at what organizations want at the moment, I mean, we're seeing it from our surveys all the time. CEOs are saying, how do I drive up collaboration? How do I drive up interdepartmental trust? How do I get diversity in? And when we say something like, you're going to have to ditch some of those middle-class values that you've got, it's a real shock to them that they've even got them. They don't know they've got them. And then you talk about the business case. I think... Mel, do, you do you, can I interrupt, interrupt, Nick? Do you actually use the term middle class values? Do you, do you do you say this to them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's also there's loads of research around middle class values and and, and what they are. And, well, and... Nick, the, the, my my dad grew up very very much working class. He progressed in his career and became the CEO of a stock market listed business. He never changed his working class values. Although, interestingly, to get ahead at one point, he was prepped for what he needed to do. And he needed to do four things. One of them was to do with Harvard. One of them was to do with his kids needed to be in the right school. And he said, what's the right school? To which he was presented with a list of 15 schools. And that's the reason I ended up going to boarding school, was, was actually because of that. I don't think that kind of thing happens so much anymore. Anyway, my, my point is more so that, like, I don't believe somebody is a class because of the job they do or the salary they earn. Maybe by the time they've retired, they've kind of 
shifted class, but that doesn't necessarily mean their values have changed. But we do ask, we ask people to change their values. And I think Mel said something about, Mel, you were talking about accent and, and, and the sound. And there's, I guess there's two bits of really good research. There's one from 2014, which was called um, The Price of the Ticket of Social Mobility by Friedman. And then the other one was a guy called Anthony Manstead from Cardiff University who did the psychology of social class. And what they both found was those small sacrifices you make when you make a change to your personal situation, your accent, your dress, your values, any small change, doesn't have to be a big change, a small change. What that does is it means I don't fit in here and I don't fit in fully back where I came from. Our feelings of isolation, losing networks, mental health problems, lower self, um, life satisfaction are the things that come out of those sacrifices. Yeah. So holding on to your values is really important, but you can have a fight. That's really interesting. I don't want to get sidetracked into this because this is actually it's such a deep topic. Uh, and Nick, I'm really pleased you've actually introduced it because it does dive into the, I mean, I haven't even thought about the social price that you pay for social yeah. mobility. Like we yeah. promote social mobility as something positive. I think all, uh, do we all think social mobility is a good thing? I think 99.9% .9 of the people are going to say, yes, it is. But if you do move your, from your class from, from which your parents and your friends are from, there is a distance from them. And your ability to interact with them in, in, in going forward will change. Um, that's, they know it and you know it. Um, so that is, that's definitely a trade-off. And Adam, I'll let you say your piece. But, um, but I think there's a trade-off there. And that's something we, again, maybe something we've got to talk about at another point. But Adam, go ahead on one more I was, point I was on this. just going to make a real, really um, subtle, subtle point around uh, when we talk about social mobility, we are inevitably talking about upward mobility, right? And I mean, upward in the classics, like social hierarchy kind of sense. We're talking about people going from being poverty to working class, working class to middle class. That's We're talking about upward mobility, aren't we? We're, we're, when we talk about that. Yeah. At no point does anybody determine to go down in, in, in social yeah, hierarchy. I, I, social I think it's just not necessarily um, the it's not necessarily the, the most accurate term for what we're describing is, is really what I mean. Though. When we talk about social mobility, it's uh, it's more specific than that. What we're, what we're meaning. Yeah, I mean, look, we're not going to solve it in the course of a, of, of a single conversation here today. But I think we're, we are kind of aware we're probably all kind of have moved in that direction, to be fair. You know, um, let's say we've all come from a certain working class background or wherever it is. It's part of the reason why you've been selected on the show. Um, uh, not that I've you know looked into your backgrounds or anything. Oh, she went for a comprehensive. No, I, I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> but it's it's more like okay, these people speak with an accent. I'm guessing um, that that's because you know you 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 might have been the first generation or second generation to go to university or whatever it is. So we've all moved, and inevitably, we're, you know, we're, we're in that middle class trash at this point. I think the point that Nick's making is that you're going to have to develop the, the, the values and the accoutrements of middle-class life in order to fit in with the new reality you're in. Otherwise, you'd be constantly reminded of the fact that, oh, you're not part of us. So there's this need to assimilate and belong. Go ahead, Emma. I, I, I was just going to add to that, though. Is there not something about, because I come from a working-class family and, and background, and actually my CEO does, and she's quite open about it. And I think, is there something about being open about your own background. I, I absolutely get, Nick, what you're saying. And I was I, at first I was like, no, I don't agree. And then I was just reflecting on some of the comments you were making as you were talking through it. Um, I think it's okay to come from a working class background and, and move yourself in terms of your career and your steps, but actually not hiding the fact 
I felt when I moved to London that I had to hide my accent and soften my accent. And, you know, I'm amazed that people still have to do that because I think the world has moved on incredibly in 20 odd years. So, um, but, but I do think we should be less afraid to talk about, you know, how you might have grown up. I mean, here's some bias in me. I've actually got, this is, this is immediate bias. I've got more admiration for people who have progressed in their careers like you have, Mel, from somebody from a working class background to be doing the job you're doing in a publicly listed company or for the person that's become CEO of, uh, you know, a, a big company who's come from a working class background than I am the people who went to Eton and Oxford. Um, I've just got mo much more admiration for the, 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 they've made bigger progression. Simple as that. Don't you, also, don't you also think, though, one of the things that benefits when we look at the present day working practices of remote working and distributed working and team and the hybrid system, it's removing the, the accent influences and the biases from the process because people now can be anywhere in the world. You know, and I'm lucky enough to have worked many places, many countries in the world, and I found those that integrate into and embrace the local environment in which they're in, not they're not devaluing their values and what they were they've come from, they're actually making it more comfortable for others to accept them and to engage with them and interact with them. Yeah. I think that there's two things you mentioned, John, which are really fair. Firstly, I don't I don't think assimilation is necessarily a problem. I think it's a recognition, let's say, of respect that you've gone to to, to a certain place. If I was to move to a different uh, country or whatnot, then yes, I'm, I'm going to learn the language. Uh, you know, yes, I'm going to eat the local food. That's absolutely something I would insist on doing for myself. Um, but uh, it's not it's not about forgetting your past either. You know, it's no. those two things I don't think are in contention. Actually, uh, Alan Walker, well done on mentioning this, uh, mentioned the issue of remote. Does remote help with this issue? So we've, we've talked about, hey, you could expose people to more diverse accent types. That's going to help reduce the uh, 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 reduce the, the prejudice people might have. Actually, you mentioned this right from the beginning, the Jersey Shore thing, positive and negative. Yeah, we need to hear it more, see it more. Uh, secondly, but does remote actually help? In other words, people are a little bit more distant remote. Are you going to be less judgmental because maybe more of the communication is actually now on email or written down rather than spoken and, and, and oral? Uh, what are your thoughts on the impact of remote on this particular uh, issue of bias? Better or worse if, it's, uh, if we were living in a remote world? Uh, Ashley? I think it's better. And I think the reason for it being better. So I work within tech. So within tech recruitment, we sponsor visas from around the world. So you tend to find that bias towards accents are a lot less across the UK. So it kind of removes a lot of bias in general. So I think remote is better because it opens your eyes up to different backgrounds and different people and different, different class, not just different classes, but different countries in particularly for us as well. Um, I think I probably don't see it as much as other, everybody else has kind of seen it as well because I've never really worked across like construction or anything like that. So I do think it brings people together a bit more and I think people are a bit more open around that. Um, but again, I struggle because I haven't really seen a lot of negativity really in the workplace with it. Yeah, I think, well, 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 th thanks for this, Ashley. Uh, remote, I think probably helps in, this, in a way because maybe the group the need to have a, a solid group is actually lesser because you don't have to spend that amount of time with people. I think when you're working in an office and it's very much all right, we're hiring someone into our office, 
this person is sitting next to me for the next uh, six, uh, however many sort of hours uh, per week, per month, then suddenly our kind of in, uh, selection criteria actually does increase. And that includes a lot of prejudicial stuff like, can I get on with him? Um, you know, uh, can I stand to be in the same room as this person for 40 hours a week? A lot of that coming from the accent, coming from I, I, social I, behavior. I guess I've got a question here, which is like, if, if I don't know, 70% of... If 70% of the UK workforce is deskless, so they're working in retail and manufacturing and construction and supply chain, which are predominantly middle, sorry, predominantly working class roles, then the argument about remote work is a middle class conversation by default. I've, yep, got an aligned, I've got an, an aligned question with that, which also is, and in fact, this probably is a question for you, Hung, rather than anybody else here and that is that there is a there is a there, there must be a hierarchy of biases and what i mean by that is what you said about like you the, the concept of mirroring other people and like this person is like me therefore i've got more immediate trust or whatever it is and i think that the, in terms of a hierarchy of bi biases i think that um, ethnicity is probably more significant than accent and I think gender is possibly more significant than accent as well. And then there's things like beauty bias and lots and lots of others, like what's up the clothes somebody's wearing. And, you know, walked into Mel walked into Ralph Lauren advert in the office and that's immediate. So I, I, I do, I do, the question for you, Hung, I guess, is like, uh, do you think ethnicity, do you agree with me? That's I agree. Yeah, I agree. There's different hierarchies, definitely. Like certain, yeah. and that's actually reflected on 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 the, our mitigation strategies. Like our attempts to, to 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 be more inclusive. For instance, there is a hierarchy of things that we care about more than others, um, and where we spent more time doing. Um, and that's also contextual, by the way. In different countries, different regions, you have you, have, you shuffle the hierarchies according accordingly. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess if you're asking a personal question, have I encountered, uh, let's say, racism in in um, uh, more so than accentism, uh, if you will? Um, I would say probably equal measures, actually, um, and, and not to a large degree, as far as I'm aware. I definitely am not like a major victim of any of this. Um, you know, I think I've 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 had the uh, the good fortune of, of, of navigating the world so far without having an egregious scenario, you know, the terrible situations that people might find themselves in. But yeah, there's certain times when definitely the way in which I spoke, I think definitely vetoed me. Scenarios. Um, I knew that, they knew that, and it was like, okay, that's how, how it goes. And same with race, you know, that's also, also the case. But, you know, there's a moment of outrage, there's a moment of injustice. Uh, but then you, you come back and you think, hang on, do you want to belong to an organization that has these these kind of beliefs? Uh, and I never had that, you know, urge. I was very quick to say, okay, listen, mate, um, if you want to have me in there and see you later, I'm off. Um, uh, you know, I wasn't particularly had a huge objective to, uh, to enter groups. And that's, again, that's probably because, you know, I bounced around a lot when I was very young. Um, so I was always like got used to being an outsider, to be fair. Um, so, so, so for me, being in group is actually quite an unusual experience. Uh, I feel that it's more normal for me to be always outside of group, um, and and uh, and yeah, yeah, that's, that's something I've, I've 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 
found comfort in uh, over time. Anyway, this is not like a psychotherapy session with Hung Lee. Where I'm lying on, on a couch. Um, we have to take a mini break. This is perfect uh, because we always want to try and do this, folks, um, just to make sure that we are a conversation starting a, a show and not something that ends the conversation. Um, so what I want us all to do is just take a moment, take your LinkedIn profile URL, share it in the chat stream on Crowdcast. If you're watching this on LinkedIn, which I think uh, something like 80 odd people are, uh, go ahead and share your LinkedIn profile in the LinkedIn comment thread, then connect with everyone who is also doing the same. Um, and the reason why I want you to do this is so that at the very least, having sort of uh, uh, listened to this conversation and participated in it, uh, you can at least find other people that are interested in this topic and you can go ahead and continue to have dialogue with those people, um, even when we have to come off air, uh, which unfortunately is going to be about 10 minutes. Um, so take a moment, go ahead, put your LinkedIn's in there and connect with everyone that you uh, see do that. Um, can, I just, can I just suggest making it slightly easier for the people who are doing this on LinkedIn? They no don't reason. actually need to put their profile link in there. Just they do. Put, they, they don't. You can see, you just click on their name and you go to their profile. You can't actually see each other on LinkedIn, I think. Um, so, I mean, I've actually, if you watch on LinkedIn... You can't um, see the thread. Who's commenting uh, on the thread? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You can just, you can put your name in there, I guess. Just put a thumbnail <laughs> or something. Is that what you meant? That's what I meant. That's all what right, I meant. right. All right. I forgive you, mate. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's let's quickly accelerate to mitigation factors. Like, what do we do about it? Is it something we is it, is it our problem to solve? Uh, you know, as Adam mentioned, this is you know maybe a social thing. I've intimated maybe it's even like a deeply human thing. Um, Nick, you've also mentioned you know the social dominance thing. It seems like it's pretty inherent. Um, is this a problem for recruiters to solve? Uh, if 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 it is, you know, what can we do to help? Uh, any thoughts on this? I think it's certainly better. I think over the past couple of years, massively, when I've worked in financial services, I've seen they're stopped kind of doing their, my investor's son wants a job, has to apply through the same ways, and it kind of brings more social class into the stream. So I think it's getting better. And I think from a recruitment side of things, it's something that you can educate constantly. And that's something that, if you keep that at top of your mind, it, yeah. Yep, I think so. Um, it's getting better. I think we are moving in the right direction. I've got to be honest. It's probably significantly worse than it that, than it has been. And there's always been like pockets where it's a bit more recalcitrant. But I think we're get, just getting more exposure, in my view, is supporting that. So thank you very much, Ashley. How about you, uh, your thoughts on this, Mel? Um, is it our problem to solve? And what would you do just to, to kind of move it along? Yeah, so um, I don't just think it's our problem to solve, but I think we have a role to play in it. Um, there are a couple of things, and actually some of them we're looking at doing at the moment across our UK and European business. One, we just need to look at all of your selection processes and can you automate and remove bias in any part of the process? Who's, who's you know, I've got a real thing about video interviews. People might have a different opinion, but I think you get this beauty. Adam, I thought it was brilliant when you said beauty bias. I think some people look at... Um, what they're seeing on the video interviews, for example, at some points, and they're kind of like, okay, I want to progress that person based on what I'm seeing. Um, and then I think the other thing is really just training people and actually um, helping some line managers to understand what you're trying to do and why. And some of that might be putting them through some training or getting them to really understand the impact through some lived experience or other things. So, Yep. 
Absolutely. And maybe some basic cultural exchanges internally within a business is going to help. Like, for instance, if you just said, if we did more social things, like off, off the corporate agenda a little bit, just to get yeah. to know each other, that's going to help you break through. Because some of those folks are going to be from different parts of the world, different parts of the country, and speak in different ways, a bit more community yeah. that way. And, and, and even, so we put in a, an employee resource group um, uh, last year, uh, which is ethnicity, so clever play on the Nash. Um, and um, we're really focusing on not just ethnic, but cultural. We start to talk more about the different cultures um, across our organization. And I just think that helps people to understand more. Yep, yep. It's all about education. Education, not through lecturing, by the way. That doesn't help anybody. It's through exposure. Yes. That's the way we do it. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I think the, the, the video interview is quite an interesting um, bias tool built in automatically, irrespective. The, the meta view and I work with a, a hone it who's another audio transcription where you you take the audio side you transcript transcribe it and that's what the hiring manager looks at and sees and hears but the, it removes the the visual bias that is in you know, I, I remember working with one particular North American agency and I was told if I wanted to go down to the head office I would need to shave my mustache and my beard off because they are right-wing Christians who do not believe in that, in having any facial hair. And no one in the headquarters building had any facial Yeah, we're, we're screwed, man, I tell you. They thought you were a communist, right? Is that it? Well, they, they thought you were well, a communist. Um, no, they thought I was a heathen or something like that. You know, you're, so. you're a pagan, mate. <laughs> you're a pagan. Get your pagan ass out of here. This is the church of God. I totally get it. Um, okay, we, we've got to keep going. Um, uh, Nick, real quick, um, our promise, actually it is our promise, so let's imagine that. What would you do to help you know, companies solve this problem? I, th I think, you know, from, from my side it is, it's just, it's that keeping improving. You know, everything is iterative, you know, you get yeah. to keep learning, keep improving. You know? So, you know, what, what are the channels we're using? Are they inclusive? Ask people, you know, do they feel like they can belong in this organization? If not, why not? It could be anything. It could be about gender. It could be about ethnicity. It could be about class or accent. Belonging is a is a great overarching piece to look at. And, and look at what you're valuing. Are you, you know, in your job descriptions, your, your website, when people are looking, is it interdependence or is it independence? Is it collaboration or is it or is it rock star? What are you looking for? And if you're looking for an independent rock star, you're going to not get somebody from a working class background. And I think it's like, sometimes it's accepting that. And I think, I think it's, it's that stuff, get the feedback, take, take action and do it deliberate. We talked about unconscious bias, but there's a load of conscious bias out there as well. And I think yeah, you need to yeah. accept that. That's it. Let's focus on the, the conscious bias. It's like, <laughs> that's a big enough problem for the time being. Uh, Nick, we've got a lot of people saying, what were those two books and researches that you, you mentioned? People in LinkedIn are saying this, people on Crowdcast as well. I wonder whether you can either repeat them slowly for us or drag them out from the internet. So chat, chat GPT, where are you? Uh, let, let's have that. Uh, you know, <laughs> give us the links. I was going to cover that in the news, newsletter review. People wanna people wanna talk about this. Um, so so if you can pull them out, Nick, and stick them into the chat stream, that'd be wonderful. because uh, I think people found them really valuable. Uh, excellent stuff. Okay, Adam, last one to you. Um, you know, what do we do about it, if anything? Uh, I, I I don't have any solutions. Uh, sorry, I don't. I 
I, I don't mean I don't mean to sound as if I'm not interested. I'm absolutely interested. But I am I there's other people on this call who know a lot more about it than me. So I'm not going to pretend that I've got any kind of an answer to it. I think that's absolutely a fair uh, fair comment. Um, it is one of those that is extremely difficult. Um, but I think, you know, I hope that having a conversation like this just helps in some way um, because it just exposes us to a lot of uh, information. There's people actually commenting they couldn't believe what they've heard. Um, so it's, you know, a lot of people might actually not understand um, that this is an issue um, or they may think it's more of an isolated issue than it is. So um, it's great that we're having this chat. So thank you, everyone. Uh, for joining us with that. And Nick, thank you for pulling those uh, those uh, bits of research out. I'll make sure everyone gets a uh, copy of that. Okay, folks, that's it. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Let me thank our guest, Ashley Wallace. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Mel Hayes, great to see you as well. Thank you for joining us. John Rose, great to see you, sir. Thank you for joining. And Nick Court, thanks for kicking off and inspiring this conversation. It was your post that did it. Um, so thank you for uh, leading the charge that way. Uh, everybody, you have a very good uh, you have a very good weekend, folks. Bye bye. The one thing that was cool, huh? I thought it was really interesting. I agree. I thought that was really great. Now there is one thing, however, that I did want to pull you up on, and that was okay. like. When you said earlier, you went to London and, yeah. you know, it turned out, you know, you had to, you, you found out that, damn it, I'm not wearing the right suit, whatever, and all that sort of stuff. How did you, how did you, how did that happen, given you went to the world's poshest university? <laughs> because it was, it was very much class divided within St. Andrews. Don't tell me you weren't wearing a top hat and tails and stuff like that. No, wasn't. Um, it was it was very interesting. In fact, if again, people who came from St Andrews or have gone through that process, small university, East Coast Scotland, um, but it was very very divided in. And, and I was as guilty as being an in, in group out group person as, as as well as anybody who's from a posher part of the world. But there was a big divide. Never the twain will meet. Um, there was a rare, rare sort of uh, uh, people who I admire to this day that were able to tra traverse in both of those communities. Um, but I, I felt that each felt a little bit threatened by the other, and there was this clear uh, separation. Um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it was helped actually by a lot of international students who, yeah. I think, because of their general ignorance of the class system in the UK, yeah. they were able to go through everything. And and you know, yeah. my good friend uh, Pierre, French guy. Um, he was friends with everybody because he was just French, right? <laughs> he, a, lot of, like, a lot of Scandinavians as well, I think. Yeah, a lot of Scandies. He had no problem with it. A lot of Americans as well, you know. So they they helped kind of bridge the gap in some way. But uh, the, the 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 English working class, British working class, definitely uh, all maybe overly conscious. Um, and the uh, the the uh, the the upper class, so to speak, I think in some ways they were conscious of it as well, like in a stay away from me type of way. So, but this is how it is, you know. In group bias, we all love it. Um, this is a human thing we've got to try and try and deal with in some way because I understand it to a certain degree, but at the same time, we are all one species. We are all human beings. Uh, we we all collectively have bigger problems to solve. Uh, you know, like bigger problems. We are on one planet. <laughs> we've got a, we've one planet, one species. That's the the overarching focus. And you know, I think you know that's where we that that's my in group. I'm I'm definitely a humanist, right? If you want to call me any kind of ism, yeah, I'm a humanist. I'm a speciesist when it comes to humans. I want us to succeed. 
Only way we do that is we recognize that's that we're all together. Anyway, listen, mate, that's it. I gotta watch the Brazil game. I'm not sure you're interested in football, but Brazil Croatia is on now. I don't think Croats have got any chance. I've got to be honest. I think Brazil wipe them out. However, uh, Netherlands versus Argentina tonight, I reckon that's gonna be a thriller. That's gonna be absolutely massive. And obviously, born in the Netherlands as I am, I've got to go for the, the Dutch. Um, let's hope they do do over Argentina and break everyone's hearts because the uh, <laughs> The, the messy love, I think, is just getting a bit too much, you know? It's well, like... I'll, I'll tell you what else I think could be an absolute thriller, and it's probably the least fashionable of, least, least fashionable of these quarter quarterfinals, and that's Portugal and, and Morocco. I think that could be a ding-dong. Yes. I think it really I could. I, I, I'm falling in love with this Moroccan team as well. Their, 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 their resiliency and their technique is really good. So I've got they can't to say, play I, the same. They can't play the same against Portugal as they did uh, did against Spain. I, I would have said they could, but the Portuguese unveiled these new players in their last game, and it was like, oh crap, this is a totally new team now. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's like, Here's it, R- R- Ronaldo version two. Yeah, the kid can't imagine that. You make your second game second, internationally. Yeah. Score a hat-trick and knockouts in the World Cup? Ridiculous, mate. I know. What a life. Anyway, listen, mate. Good to Cheers. see you, Adam. We'll see you next Enjoy. week. Take it easy. Yeah. Right. Cool, cool. All right. Wasn't that great, everybody? Thanks for joining. We'll be back next week. And next week, we are going to be talking another hugely important topic on our continuing our journey on trying to kind of uncover and expose hidden biases. Um, this one I want us all to pay attention to. It is going to be about... Um, the pressures of a mother or a mother-to-be in the job search and on the career track. Um, how do women who are thinking about having kids? What are the, what do they need? To, what do they go through um, when they're navigating the world of work? Um, this is something that's totally out of my depth, um, but I'm thankful I've got a lot of great people who are joining us to have this conversation. Please follow the channel if you're interested in knowing more about that. Register on the show that's happening next week on Friday, and we will see you then. Thanks for watching, everyone.